The kingdom of God is at hand. Those were the exhilarating words that Jesus chose to kick off his Galilean ministry. But were those words true? Was he speaking in real time of real events? Was that more like one of those press conferences when a newly hired football coach tries to fire up a fan base that's weary of losing with talk of future Super Bowls? Well, those who'd been listening to Jesus preach, they were pretty certain that the latter was the case. Now, why was that? Well, it's basically this. They were absolutely convinced, based on their study of Scripture, that when the kingdom of God came, there would be an immediate overturn of power. That Israel, God's chosen and pure community, would be restored to her rightful place of dominance on the world stage. Had that happened yet? No. Rome was still calling the shots. And as such, Jewish people, they were catching the brunt of unfair taxation, a corrupt judicial system, and bigoted attitudes. That's what was going on. So in their mind, while Jesus certainly appeared to, to be a Messiah, more so than any of those other blowhard Messiah wannabes, they were wrestling with how could this be true? How could God's kingdom be present when there was still a Roman emperor on the throne? Now, when was the last time that you wrestled with that question? <laughs> Never. No, me either, right? You say, well, what are we talking about this for today? Well, here's why. Because I think there is a question that's somewhat similar that many of us do wrestle with. And the question kind of sounds like this. If God's here, if he's present, if he's in control, if he's reigning, why is our world still so messed up? Why are there evil rulers or leaders who are dishonest and do things out of selfish ambition? Why are there terrorists who bomb? Why are there abusers who traffic kids? Why are there crazies that shoot up schools? Why are there bigots who spew hate? Those are the questions that we tend to wrestle with. If God's rule is a present reality and not just some hopeful expectation, why does the world seem to be getting worse rather than better? And since evil, not good, appears to be winning the day, the conclusion that some, if not many people, have come to is this. If there is a God, and many people doubt there is, but if there is, then he's either powerless or is negligent. Now, if for all those who have ever wrestled with those feelings, those questions, those doubts, Jesus told a story. The story that he told was about a farmer who planted an entire field full of wheat. Now, unfortunately, when his crop came up, it was full of weeds. So many weeds, in fact, that the people who worked for this particular farmer came to him and said, hey, listen, we're not sure that you planted good seed. Now, the farmer was quick to assure them, listen, the seed's not the problem. The reason that my field is full of weeds is because one of my enemies under the cover of darkness snuck in, and this particular enemy planted zizania seed. 
Zizania or darnel seed looked so similar to wheat that it was often referred to as a false wheat. Now, it was a nasty little weed. It would intermix with the the wheat, and it would just suck up all the nutrients and all the moisture, and it would stunt the growth of that particular crop. You didn't want to have this weed in your field. And so the workers asked the farmer, hey, listen, would you like for us to go out into the field and pull up all of those weeds? Now, naturally, one would assume that the answer would be yes, but that's not the answer the farmer gave. And the farmer said instead, no, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to let the wheat and the weeds grow up together until the harvest. Now, when the harvest comes, I'm going to entrust the harvesters to to go ahead and collect the wheat and then discard the weeds. And this is the story that Jesus told. But what exactly did it mean? The disciples, they didn't have the foggiest idea. But they had a heart to know. And this is what separated them from so many of the other people who gathered to listen to Jesus preach. They weren't just there to be entertained. They weren't just there out of curiosity. They wanted to know what Jesus was getting at. They truly wanted to understand the hidden spiritual realities in these everyday common life stories that Jesus loved to tell. And so when they finally got a moment, they asked Jesus for an explanation. And this is the explanation that Jesus gave, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 37. The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. Now let me press pause for just a moment. We need to recognize that this particular phrase, son of man, was one of, if not Jesus' favorite ways to refer to himself. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew alone, he uses that phrase, son of man, something like 37 different times in reference to himself. Now, why does he use that particular phrase? Well, there are those who say the reason Jesus used that phrase, son of man, was in reference to his humanity, while he would use the phrase son of God in reference to his divinity. But is that the only reason that Jesus referred to himself in this way? Maybe, but I don't think so. I tend to agree with those who suggest that he used this particular phrase because it was a subversive way to reveal himself is the one that all of the Jews had hung their hopes on for so many years. The one who had been prophesied about a thousand years earlier by one of the great prophets, Daniel. I want you to listen to the words of that prophet in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Yes, Jesus, the Son of Man, is the Messiah, and yes, the kingdom of God is here. The revolution that's being prophesied about, it's begun. It's taken place. But this particular revolution is not a political revolution as 
those first century Jews anticipated. It's bigger than that. It is much, much bigger than that. This revolution that Jesus is leading, one that is full of power and grace, I mean, love and grace rather than power and violence, it's against all the supernatural evil forces that are responsible for the, the pain, the suffering, the brokenness in this world. And one day, this Jesus revolution, it will result in a world completely and utterly void of hatred and poverty, of sickness and injustice, of addiction and shame, and racism and rejection and loneliness. One day, but not just yet. The kingdom of God is here, it's now, but it's not fully present. That right now we're in a season in which good and evil, which God's power and Satan's influence, they're both at work in the world. Both are taking place. Listen to the words of Jesus, continuing in Matthew 13, verse 38. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Just like the wheat and the weeds that grow up together, God's work and Satan's work right now are intermixed and they're growing side by side. And while it can certainly feel like the only thing that has grown is evil, that is certainly not the case. Well, we began with Jesus and a group of 12 men and a few faithful women in a small corner of the world. It now numbers something like 2.2 billion people. At least those are the number that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and it stretches across the entire globe. And every single day, so many of these Jesus people sow seeds of love and kindness, generosity and joy, justice, love, and peace. But since evil tends to grab the headlines, the good that's being done, it often goes below the radar. But please understand, good is being done all over the world every day. And right here in this place, so much good is being done by Jesus' people. Just two weeks ago, so many of you volunteered to work with Convoy of Hope. Let me just give you a brief snapshot of the good that was accomplished during that day's activity. 3,200 people were given backpacks and school supplies and new shoes and food and other items. 1,200 of those, or 120 of those people received medical care. 1,900 people were prayed over. 14 people expressed a desire to follow Jesus Christ. Those of you who got out there and worked on that day, you planted the seeds of generosity in the midst of this weed of financial struggle. Not too long ago, a few days ago, I learned that Jess Sadler and Scott Pence have spent 40-plus hours building a ramp for Jerry and Gary Castle. See a picture on the screen right there? As soon as they got that up, that was used the very next day when Gary needed to be rushed to the ER because he was sick. By taking the time to do that, they planted the seeds of care 
in the midst of this weed called physical struggle. Last Friday night, Ruth Langa, Jeff Dumo, Gino Langa, others hosted an acoustic worship and praise night right out here in our courtyard. It was a beautiful setting. It wasn't a huge attendance, but there were people from all over the Bay Area who came to worship and praise the Savior. For an hour and a half, the seeds of praise and meditation were planted amongst the weeds of stress and busyness. I'm especially mindful of those of you who are educators this morning. Not only do you do a fantastic job of teaching critical subjects, but every day you bring in the love of Jesus Christ in your classroom. In that particular moment, you are planting the seeds of Christ's love in the hearts, often the little hearts of people who are wrestling with anxiety, struggling with trying to figure out their identity, and just a whole lot of weeds going on in their life. And you do it every day. Every day, good is done. The gospel is sown. God's power is at work. The kingdom of God expands and it grows. But sadly, so does evil. I don't really need to remind you of this because we see it every day in the headlines. We see wars begin. We see marriages crumble. We hear stories about coworkers who stab each other in the back and friendships that fall out and innocent people that are taken advantage of. And it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening, especially when that, that evil and that brokenness touches your own life. So much so that there's a part of you that wants to do something about it, right? You're just sick and tired of it, so you, you want to stand up and you want to do something about it. Now, before we rush out of here to wage war on evil, I think it'd be wise for us to back up for just a moment and listen again to the advice that the farmer gives to his workers. 28 through 30, the servants ask him, do you want us to go and pull them up? All these weeds? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Exactly as Jesus is saying. Is he saying we're just supposed to tolerate evil? <laughs> is, that, is that his point? Hey, did, you don't, don't name evil, don't confront evil, just, just let it be, don't do anything about it. And last night I was scrolling through Twitter and I just happened to see... Uh, a story, a, a godmother of a young lady that plays volleyball for Duke University, she just tweeted out, she said, my goddaughter last night in this match with BYU was serving. She's the only black student athlete on the court. Fans behind her began, at least one or two, to yell out the N-word at her. And then an adult man said to her, you better watch your back. Now, are we supposed to just be silent and let weeds grow up with wheat? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I, I appreciate the words of Klein Snodgrass when he writes this, We cannot be tolerant of evil, but the destruction of all evil is not our task. 
We must stop being evil, and we must stop evil from destroying. But how can we stop evil without becoming evil in the process? That may well be the human question. And I think that is the question for us in this generation, especially right now. If we're going to wage war on evil, if we're going to enter into this thing, we better do it in the spirit of Jesus, right? And how did Jesus wage war with evil? He did it with love and grace. He did it with hope and joy. He did it with righteousness and truth. He did not become evil to address evil. One of the worst things that can happen to the kingdom of God is when followers of Jesus in the name of standing against evil become what? They become evil. They become hateful and hurtful. They become unloving and unkind. It is the worst thing that can happen for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus said, you need to be real careful. Be real careful how you intermix and how you're dealing with what's going on. I want us to please remember that as we get ready to post on Facebook. I want us to remember that as we have conversations with our coworkers about some decision we didn't particularly agree with. We don't become evil to get rid of evil. We wage war the same way Jesus did by being loving, kind, and firm. You name sin, it's sin, but you do it in the spirit of Jesus. It's not our job to discard the weeds. That's God's job. Well, what's he waiting for? You ever ask that question, right? Hey, what in the world? Why is this taking so long? Why doesn't he get busy? Why doesn't he root out or, or just kind of separate the wheat from the weeds? Why is this taking so long? And we don't have an answer from the parable. But guess what? Peter gives us an answer. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So why hasn't the final judgment come yet? Here's why. Because God is hopefully just waiting, waiting hopefully that many of these weeds will become wheat. Or to go back to another story that Steve Inc. shared with us a few weeks ago, he's waiting for prodigals to come home. You see, here's what we need to remember, that no matter how a person is right now, the amount of evil that they're doing or have done in their life, nobody, nobody is beyond the reach of God. They're not. And so that means for us, what? That every single day, we need to go back out into the world. We need to plant this seed, the good news, both with our words and our actions, everywhere we go until Jesus says, okay, now, now's the time for judgment. And while that final judgment has not come yet, it is definitely coming. It is. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in his explanation of this parable. He goes on to say in verse 40 through 43, As the weeds are pulled and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear Jesus says, hey, pay attention, pay attention. This is coming. The day is coming. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to do away with which is, what is evil. He's going to separate the wheat from the weeds. It's going to take place. Now, for most of us, it is easy for us to identify evil, isn't it? 
We see it. We can name it. We know it's there. But what's more difficult at the times is recognize who's going to be counted among the righteous at that final judgment. Now, imagine all 2.2 billion people who call themselves Christians would say, I'm going to be called among the righteous. Are they? Are you? Well, that's not for me to answer. That's not my job. That's up to God, right? But I believe, based on this parable, there are a couple of characteristics of the righteous that we probably ought to pay attention to. And one characteristic is this. Those who are truly righteous understand that they are part of the kingdom of God because of God's work, not their own. Jesus is the one who came into the world to sow the good seed, the good news, the gospel. Jesus is the one that came into the world to defeat evil by giving up his life, or by, you know, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. My morality, my service is not what makes me good. God makes good all those who place their trust in and submit to Jesus Christ as their king. Now, what does it look like to submit to Jesus Christ as your king? It means this. He calls the shots, not you. Jesus is truly your king. You're going to do what Jesus wants you to do, when he wants you to do it, where he wants you to do it, whether you understand it or you agree with it at all, because he's king. Now, that doesn't mean that the righteous always get it right, but there is this growing desire to be obedient to our king, which leads me to the second characteristic of the righteous. Now, as I mentioned previously, it is very hard to tell the difference between wheat and zizania or darnell weed. In fact, for most of the growing season, they looked identical. It wasn't until the very end, the very end, that wheat would produce a head of grain, but the weed wouldn't. It was just stalk. And it's a powerful reminder that if you are truly following Jesus, you're going to produce. There's going to be evidence. Jesus puts it like this in John chapter 15 and verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Is it important to be at worship service, to attend a small group, to read your Bible every day? Yes, it is. And when you do those things, it'll give every appearance that you're a part of the kingdom of God. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are. There ought to be something that's evident going on in your life. What's this fruit look like? What should we be producing or what should the Holy Spirit be producing in us? Well, there should be visible evidence of character transformation taking place in your life. The fruits of the Holy Spirit should be seen. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kingdom people have a growing enjoyment of and contentment with God. They're growing in their love for other people, and it's evident in the way that they serve other people as well. Kingdom of God people, disciples, they make disciples. There's also this growing sense of humility as one becomes more aware of their own sin and their own lack of knowledge. 
So you become more humble rather than full of pride. And we could go on, but let me just sum it up this way. If you are truly righteous, if you're truly following Jesus, you're going to begin to look more and more like Jesus. Does that describe you? If it doesn't, let me share some good news. The good news is it can not because there is this ability within yourself to make this happen. But here's the good news. The kingdom of God, his power, his reign is at hand. And it's working in you to transform you. May we have the humility to follow in step with this Holy Spirit who's making us more like Jesus.